Kia ora tato. I don't often sit near the front, but this morning as I was sitting there, as we were worshipping the Lord, I thought what a privilege it is to be sitting, to be standing close to a young woman in the front row. Words were not there on the screen, but Jenny didn't need the words. There she was praising and worshipping God. What a privilege it is to be in the presence of such a woman. Thank you, Jenny. Wonderful. How that must delight the heart of this God of ours. The one who has such a wonderful name. The name Jesus. Jesus. For those who are strangers, I'm Warwick Lash. I'm just a piece of antique furniture in this place. Well, I'm pretty grateful that I don't yet have Bora leaking out of me. But if you're looking for a title this morning, I guess we, I would be happy to run with the title. It's about meeting God in unexpected places. Starting point on the screen in, in front of you. Jesus said... Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Jerusalem. Martin asked me to speak this morning on what I had learned from our trip to Israel a couple of months back. It's a trip where Lorraine and I did our own thing in Jerusalem for eight days. Part of me is reluctant to do that because quite often when I hear someone give a long um, account of their trip, outwardly I'll say, oh yeah, yeah, but often I switch off because uh, it's not my experience and I'm not really all that interested in, in long, long uh, you know, spiels about trips. Jackie, there's one exception. And I want to make that very clear this morning. Yours was an awesome summary of what really happened. And so thank you for you and Doug and that. <laughs> I want to make that quite clear. Inwardly, I'm likely to groan, lucky them, but poor me. But isn't that a stunning image that Jesus gives us in the scriptures? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. When you walked through those doors this morning, no matter how far you felt from God, no matter what crisis is part of you, no matter what doubts continue to grip you, you and I truly are in the presence of the risen Christ who longs to protect us and comfort us and lead us and cover us with his unconditional protection, no matter what is going on in our lives. And the fact that you and I are here in a place like this this morning is affirmation for you that God says he's going to complete, he's going to complete the good work that he's done that he's doing in your life so this morning I'd love to share just three examples only three things that grab my attention in Jerusalem uh, um, things which really were like a teaching aid to my faith one 
was when I went to the Israeli Museum. I was impressed by those daggers or knives up there. Real daggers, real metal. And I was impressed with the, with the armour platelets as well. Real stuff that guys used to wear in the time of David and Goliath. And uh, the sort of stuff that has, for me, brought out the details that are read for a lifetime in the scriptures. Right there, you can see them. But the next exhibit caught my attention even more. It was a chunk of rock. And on the rock, it was simply inscribed, And there they anointed King David. Comes from 2 Samuel 2, 4. And the phrase that was also carved in stone in this next slide in front of you there, the square one, it's headed, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now that matches up exactly with what we read in Isaiah chapter one, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Quote, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I thought, wow, there it is. It's right there. It's not just in a scroll. It's not just in the scriptures. It's also there, chiseled in rock. And I think that when the enemy of our souls is having a go at us, most of us will go through seasons of doubt where the veracity of the text of scripture, for all sorts of reasons, we're in doubt about it. And I have found it just so empowering and reassuring when we see scriptures or parts of scripture literally carved in chunks of rock. And those examples chiseled out 600 years before Christ. The record of scripture is true, totally true. And when we let ourselves relax in that, we are the chicks that Jesus spoke of. Our minds are protected by the covering that only Christ himself can give us. Seven years ago, I remember struggling with dark anxiety for a period of months. I remember engraving something from Bible scholar Derek Prince. It's called a proclamation. And I engraved it into this chunk of greenstone that sits on one of my coffee tables at home. It's entitled, You Are the Lord, My Healer. And I remember that the very act of engraving those phrases helped lift the burden that I had been carrying for too long. And it reads, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases, who redeems my life from the pit and crowns me with love and compassion. Lord, I am waiting for you who renews my strength. I will soar like an eagle. I will run and not be weary. I will walk and not be faint. Surely you took up my infirmities and carried my sorrows. Yet we considered you stricken by God and afflicted. But you were pierced for my transgressions. You were crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was upon you. 
and by your wounds I am healed. I cast all my anxieties and problems on you because you care for me. You, Lord, are my healer. That's a sort of inheritance that Doug brought to our attention a few minutes ago, the sort of scriptures which are for us to claim and refuse to let the enemy take that out of our minds. As Paul was praying for Martin this morning, I thought, yes, Lord, let's continue to claim together this proclamation. You, Lord, are my healer for Trish, for any who has walked through these doors this morning feeling fragile. I cast all my cares, I cast all my anxieties onto you, Lord, because you truly are my healer. And over the years, more than a few people have shared with me how, how powerful such a proclamation has been to them. That word engraved reminds me of the God who says in Isaiah 49:16, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your walls are forever before me. Forever means forever. God says, Here, I want to give you security. It's true. Just keep running into me. I've engraved you in the palm of my hands. When I returned from Israel, one of the first things I did was to engrave a piece of copper and I attached it to an old oar that is now suspended over part of our garden. Because the night before we flew from Paris to Tel Aviv, my wife told me how anxious she was that we were about to head off into the Middle East. Because tensions were high, they always are. And I can remember saying very little to her at the time, but my heart sank. Oh, have I done the right thing? Uh, maybe I should have chosen the rocking chair option instead. <laughs> but next morning I opened the word for today, and the, and, and the verse, the key verse for the day, in Numbers 14 hit me. Quote, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. Yes! And even though we had to stand in a queue at the airport for two and a half hours, and even though the boarding gate uh, at the airport, when we finally got to it, was closed, even though that happened, we did make it at the last minute onto the aircraft and into Israel three and a half hours later. Yes, he will bring us safely into that land. So now I've engraved a um, piece of copper, and uh, you're going to have to imagine, you can see it this morning, piece of copper attached to the oar, and so when my grandchildren come and visit me, they'll say, Grandad, what is that about? I, I can say to them, that reminds me of the day that God said, I'm going to take you into a land, I'm going to give it to you. And I thought, what a wonderful privilege we have to keep on being encouragers of those around it as we continue to breathe out the word of God. Loved walking into John and Rowena's new home in Motuapa recently. 
and right there on the lounge wall is a uh, is a, is John 3:16 featured across the wall. Awesome! What a wonderful testimony! What a blessing as people continue to walk into your room. John 3:16. For God loved the world so much He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Second feature that caught my attention in Jerusalem was the Wailing Wall, or called the Western Wall. The gold-plated dome you can see in the distance is uh, right in the heart of the old city of Jerusalem. It's in Muslim territory. And just this side of it, and lower down, is the old Western, or Wailing Wall. Often called that because for centuries the Jews would go there, as they still do, to pray. Because that's the nearest they can get to the temple that the Romans destroyed in AD 70. And so on any day when you go into the plaza in front of the Western Wall, you'll see hundreds of Jewish men of all ages, heads covered, standing there, many of them with arms raised, praying out loud to God, imploring, imploring that the Messiah will return. But women are not allowed to mix it with the men. And uh, one afternoon, Lorraine and I went underground along the tunnel at the base of the Western Wall. Just go back, please. And uh, when we walked along that wall, I'll never forget going carefully past, inching carefully past two women who were praying. They had the Torah in their hands and they were as close to the Holy of Holies as they could get. But they were sobbing. They were absolutely heartbroken. And I felt so embarrassed that we had to edge our way past them. And I thought, they know what it's like also to be in mourning. They know what it's like to be in despair. And I know that we as Christian believers have more of a hope we have that hope, we have that knowledge that Christ is with us. We don't have to go to a holy place or whatever. Where we go, Christ is with us. Wherever we go, we are in the holy of holies. We cannot escape from his presence. And I think what a privilege we have as believers, knowing and living. I went to Jerusalem hoping to get to a messianic church. Uh, these, of course, are groupings of Jewish believers who recognize that Jesus or Yeshua, the Messiah, um, who is soon to return to his people as he promised after the resurrection. But on Sunday morning, a Filipino at the hostel that we were staying in, he told me excitedly that he was going to the Jerusalem Baptist Church. And would we like to come? And my heart sank again. It was the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the Messianic church. But of course, I said, yes, love to go with you. So we set out at half past eight for a nine o'clock service. We joined by a young American lawyer, a woman who was new to the faith. But we were two hours early for the church service. So the four of us sat in the shade. Samantha had a 
truckload of questions about how God relates to the struggles and the heartache in her life. But I'm so glad we were two hours early for that church service. I wouldn't have exchanged that privilege of being on the fringe of this young woman's life. I wouldn't have exchanged that for all the messianic churches in Jerusalem. Once again, God loves to turn up in the most unexpected situations in our lives. Remember the psalmist reminds us, I delight to do your will. And when we are in the will of God, he in turn fills us with so much delight. So totally true. Thirdly, the golden gate. Right there. Doesn't look much like a gate. That grabbed my attention too. The eastern wall, the other side of the old city, is dominated by the golden gate. Uh, before that, of course, the Romans destroyed it all in AD 70. But then it was rebuilt. And then in 1530, the Muslim conquerors, they were in power at the time. And they decided to block up the Golden Gate, called also the Beautiful Gate, because they had become aware that according to the Jewish scriptures, as in Ezekiel chapter 44, there will come a day when the Jewish Messiah, when he returns to the Mount of Olives, which is behind the camera, he will walk across the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem, and then he will walk into the yet-to-be-built Third Temple, accessed through the Golden Gate. And as an insurance policy to make sure that doesn't happen, the Muslim have built a huge cemetery right below it because they know that in Jewish or in Muslim culture, no holy man will ever dare to walk across the top of a cemetery. Not a bad way for keeping someone out of a Golden Gate. But in the meantime, it's, it's bricked up. But it's, I found it very interesting finding that the golden gate in the wall that was destroyed by the Romans, it's actually still intact. And it sits directly below the one you can see in the photo. In 1969, a young American archaeologist, he was standing on top of the Muslim cemetery just below the wall. And he was studying this very gate itself. But it had been raining for three days, raining solidly. And then to his shock, the ground collapsed underneath him. And he fell over two meters into a mass grave. Bones everywhere. But with the help of his camera flash, he took photos of the cavern climbed out, developed the photos, realized that they clearly showed the upper part of a beautiful, beautifully built gateway above the mound of the, old, of the old bones. He returned to the site with his archaeology professor the following day, but he found that the mass grave and the original gate had vanished under a massive load of fresh concrete. I love it. 
But Psalm 24 and Ezekiel 44 remain as testimony that Christ will soon return. The Mount of Olives first, where he touches down. Then he goes across the Kidron Valley and into Jerusalem through the, what I believe is a temporarily closed gate. Hmm, thought-provoking stuff, eh? Think about it. Take it with you. Let's wrap up. 20 minutes ago, I drew your attention to how Jesus wept over Jerusalem. How I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And how grateful we are that he does that for each of us as individuals when we keep reaching out to him. Secondly, the record of scripture is to be trusted totally. Thirdly and finally, am I totally prepared for his return? His return firstly for believers, called the rapture, where we rise to meet Christ in the air, followed by his physical return to Israel. The rapture of the church, I believe, is clearly imminent. The scriptures spell that out clearly. So, two questions remain. Will I be a participant in the throng that accompanies Jesus when his feet, when his feet touch down on that Mount of Olives? Or will I simply be excluded? I trust not. What we believe certainly has consequences for where we live in eternity. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, how, how grateful we are that you went up to Jerusalem, that you never flinched from doing the hardest of yards, that you set your eyes on that cross as you sought to complete your Father's will. Your face was then disfigured more than that of any man. And you were crushed for our iniquities. And then you laid down your life so that we might live. Lord, may we too set our eyes on going to our own Jerusalem however that is expressed in each of us, Lord, but keep us focused, our eyes totally focused on you. Lord, keep us determined in the power of your Holy Spirit, determined to fulfill your will so that your name will be honoured and praised and given glory we pray this in that mighty name of that soon coming King, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.
As we lead into communion this morning, can I remind you that this is not just the communion table of the Topol Baptist Church. It's a table that's open for all who trust the Lord. You are welcome. It's his table. You know where you are with God. And so you are warmly invite, and warmly invite you to join those as in a few moments come forward to take the elements, to then go back to their seats to thank this God of ours for his sacrifice. In the scriptures we read, For I received, this is from Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper he took the cup saying, This cup in the new covenant is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Examine yourself. Fast Paul, if he would lead us in thanks for the elements.